All right. Brand new series. It's going to go five weeks all around the theme of hope. How many of us could use a little more hope sometimes? That's the truth. We can. Uh, And so the title is Hope Remains. Now, hope is a tricky thing, right? Because when it's all coming apart at the seams, God speaks into seemingly hopeless situations. We may not always hear it. And sometimes when we hear God speaking into a perceived hopeless situation, sometimes we think, God, are you pronouncing judgment or are you being critical of the situation? And it can seem like the word of God is heaping on even more. It's not what we want to hear. However, when God speaks into our situations. He's always bringing hope. And anytime we feel heaped on, we should know and we should be able to trust that God is confronting us so that what isn't Christ-like has the opportunity to become what God has in mind. And when we realize that connection, that truth, that's when we will know that hope remains. Now, this series, uh, Hope Remains, was, it was kind of inspired by this little tiny book in the Old Testament called the Book of Zephaniah. It's a little three-chapter book in the Old Testament. It's written by a guy. I'll give you one guess what his name is on the count of three. Oh, man, y'all are clued in this morning. <laughs> um, and so I didn't, I didn't, I just pointed the microphone and you just jumped in. So uh, the book of Zephaniah is a, a collection of poetry by a prophet called Zephaniah. And anytime we're reading the scripture, this is important to keep in mind. Anytime we're opening the scripture and we're reading it, we're absorbing it, we're looking at it, we're looking at all the details, there's a lot of things that will seem amiss unless we take the time to understand the context, the culture, the scenario in which it's speaking and what the scripture is trying to do. So when you dive in, there's A lot of questions that you can be asking, but one thing to always keep in mind, the book in general, the scripture, is writing about these universal big idea truths. And what I know about universal and big idea truths, i.e. God's love, mercy, and grace, right? They have to have particular scenarios to actually get through my thick skull. And that's true of anything in any relationship, right? If I'm going to believe that Holly loves me, she can't just tell me. I have to have scenarios in which it becomes actual for me to grab it, right? It may not mean if I didn't grab it that she didn't love me. It just may mean that I missed it. And so when we're jumping into the scripture, anytime we are reading, we need to have a larger perspective of where in the scripture is this in the story? What is it trying to do? What is the bigger truth? And how is that playing out in the particular nitty gritty details of the story? And so when you're reading the scripture for yourself, you may be saying, how do I find those nitty-gritty details, Pastor Todd? Well, we can get to that another day. Um, But there are resources out there for us. 
And so the book of Zephaniah is a poetry book. It's a poetry book. Um, but you need to put it in perspective. So the scripture kind of narrates like this. God picks a people to be his agencies in the world. And he liberates them from slavery. And so the big story of the Old Testament is how God liberates these people from their slavery and how they become the people of God. And so they get their own country and they, they, they become their own people, but in the process, they forget that God was the one that provided their hope. God was the one that provided their liberty. God was the one that provided for them And so they begin to put their hope in other things. And it leads to the internal and external demise of their country, of their way of life, and their people. That's not an issue we face today, is it? I love how sometimes just the smallest things help us remember When we look back and we actually get what God has done, we can look forward to what God will do. But when we miss out on those connections, we lose hope. So the background of the person of Zephaniah, let me lay this on you because this is really important. Zephaniah was a nobody. He didn't come from a famous family or a famous school. He didn't have all the things that were necessary. He was a nobody. And God used this nobody to speak into the life of the people. So if God can do that, God can actually speak through anyone from anywhere at any time. Can I be honest with you? There are lots of times where I don't feel like I deserve to be in front, sharing the news, being the voice, or being used in any capacity as a representative of the Almighty. That's a really daunting place to be. And yet, if this story is true then God can use anyone from anywhere, and it's not really about me. It's about God wants to do in our midst. And my call, right, to be a a pastor, when I look back on it, I I still doubt. (laughs) I still doubt my ability and my voice and my, um, in some ways, I guess that means I'm doubting God, doesn't it? All the time. But if God can use Zephaniah, a nobody, God can use you and he can use me. And so we have to believe, we have to stand, we have to act, we actually have to put feet on the fact that you and I can be the voice and presence of God in this world. Can we just preface everything with that? Can I get an amen somewhere to know that you heard that? Um, I want to jump in this morning I've titled the message, Hi-ya! Everybody get your chops out. Ready? Ready? On the count of three, you've got to do it with me. I see some of you rolling your eyes. Get your karate chops out. One, two, three. Hi-ya! All right. For those of you who didn't do it, I feel really disappointed right now, but that's okay. I'm going to forgive you. We're in church. Um, 
The opening line of the book of Zephaniah says, the Lord gave this message to Zephaniah. In some versions, it says, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zephaniah. The word gave or the word came to is actually the Hebrew word hayah. It doesn't actually sound like a hayah. It's Hebrew, so it's like hayah, you know, like, but whatever. Um, For my sake, it's hayah. And it literally means to come to, to become, to make manifest God's word and presence. Zephaniah became the presence of God. Haya. So church, instead of living like God doesn't exist, we collectively are going to become the presence of God. We are going to become the haya. So everybody get your chops out one more time. On the count of three, haya. One, two, three, haya. Now, when you look at the book of Zephaniah, you will not feel like it's very hopeful. <laughs> so let's get started. Let's jump in. Um, in the chaos of our lives, in the unraveling of our scenarios, when we face circumstances that are um, just crazy, it will seem like the basic mood of Zephaniah. So Zephaniah 1 through verse 2, two chapter 3, basically has one mood. God is going to bring destruction to everything. Because it's all gone to pot. Anybody ever use the phrase, it's gone to hell in a handbasket? I don't actually know where that phrase came from or why there's a handbasket or if it would survive in hell. But um, I think that's the general sense of what's going on. It's like sometimes it seems like our world can be unraveling. And so starting in verse 2, it's up on the screen. It says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away people and animals alike. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea. I will reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble. And I will wipe away humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. That does not sound hopeful. In fact, if you remember all the way back to Genesis, the order of the creation story in Genesis, right, is the fourth day the world gets filled, ready, with the fish of the sea. And the fifth day, right, uh, the fish and and, and, and the birds are all one day. And the fifth day is the animal, or excuse me, I'm going backwards, back up. Anyway, The order in which he says that he'll sweep away people and animals alike, that's day six. And then sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, that's day five. In other words, we're reversing the order of creation. And so this imagery in this poem is so powerful. It's as if God's saying, I'm going to undo it all. Anybody ever been there? (laughs) Anybody ever faced a situation where you're like, nope, I I will 
break down every piece of this car if it does not work. I will literally rip it apart. The thing is, in the midst of our chaos, that can be the general mood. And the, the problem of the story is that the people of God had gotten so far remiss from following after the heartbeat of God that this is how God feels on the gut check side. I'm going to undo the whole thing. Now, we know that the promise that he gave to Noah is that he would never undo the whole thing again. But that doesn't mean you don't feel like undoing it. By the way, you can give an amen to that one. If you've ever been there with work or with someone or with a circumstance, okay? So in the midst of that chaos and that unraveling, here's what's happening. God might, just maybe, God might be using or trying to or doing everything God can to grab our attention. But see, when our perspective is all about us, we think God is doing something to us or allowing something to us rather than asking, God, why would this be happening and what am I to learn from it? So in this chapter, in chapter one, Zephaniah's poetry begins to talk about all the things we put our hope in. And believe me, we put our hope in a lot of things. We put our hope, according to the the, the passage, we put our hope in other gods. We put our hope in family. We put our hope in relationships. We put our hope in the economy. We put our hope in the government. We put our hope in money or in the marketplace or in our jobs. And in this case, he even makes reference to the the fish gate and the east wall and how we would never watch these things crumble because we put our hope in our buildings and what we own and our stuff. We put our hope in places that we think cannot crumble, like Social Security. Sorry, too soon? (laughs) We put our hope in a lot of things. And so the story of what is happening in the people of Zephaniah is also the story that is particular into our own hearts because we put our hope in all sorts of things. And when we put our hope not in God, here's what happens. The people of God had some nice doctrines and sets of beliefs that were their guiding documents, and they put them on a plaque on the wall. And they said, we're God's people, see? And then they lived like God didn't exist. Because for them, to be the people of a God was a transaction. We do the same thing in our relationships with God when we believe that the gospel is simply saying a prayer and believing the right things. I said those things. I believed those things. So now, me. (laughs) Anybody can have some nice doctrines and lists on the wall of things they say they believe. 
but the things we actually believe are the things that we put our feet to, which would indicate that it's very easy for us, and I'm not calling anyone out, I'm calling myself out here, it's very easy for us, me, to put my trust in something else because the walls are tangible, the money I can feel, the numbers I can see on the screen, even though the marked numbers are imaginary. Do you see what I'm saying? That relationship that I believe will fulfill me is real and tangible because I can see that person. We put our hope in tangible things because it's clean, not messy. This is tactile, it's transactional. I paid you, you gave me this, we're done. But when we reduce our relationship with God to that, it becomes really hairy. Because God is not, as Freddie said last week, a cosmic ATM machine. And the thing that we have that is saving us is our relationship with Christ who is in us empowering us to create a different world in a different reality where hope is not circumstantial. Um, I found out this week that Austin Fire Department uh, came out with their budgets, and I don't know why I, I randomly clicked on an Austin Fire Department budget, but what I found out was that the most expensive piece of Austin Fire Department, what would you think that would be? Houses are burning down, buildings are burning down, they got to pay for all these trucks and training and water hoses and all sorts of accessories and all these kinds of things. No. The most expensive thing for the fire department is water rescue from people driving their cars into low water river crossing roads, which are already shut down with notices saying, don't drive there. We're thick people sometimes, aren't we? So... Sometimes the signs and the warnings saying, hey, don't do that, apparently don't matter to us. And we think, hey, I know that road is down there. I'll just drive on through. I've driven this. I can make it. Newsflash. I tried to make it through the Frio Rio in a minivan. It did not work. Do not do it. The water will get up in places that it does not need to get up in the engine and shut you down. See, the, the problem I think that we face is not only that we put our hope in things, but, and, and this is kind of point number two for us, we, and if you're following along on wayfinders.info, you can write your own notes and email them to you later, but I think this is going to be on the screen. The problem is we are practical deists. Anybody know what a deist is? A deist is someone who believes in God, but God is somewhere else doing something else and not a reality in this space, in my life, or our world. We become practical deists, or better yet, to make more sense of it, atheists. Full confession time. Um, there's a singer-songwriter, Derek Webb, that has a song called Wedding Dress. 
and it talks about how we, we pick up and put down God like a wedding dress when it suits us, right? When it suits us, we, you know, we, we put on the dress and we walk down the aisle, but when it doesn't, we put the dress back and we walk away. So the first chapter of Zephaniah doesn't seem like it's very hopeful. It seems like it's just indictment that we have lost the plot. But check it out. In verse 12, it says this. I will search with lanterns. This is God speaking to us. I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners to punish those who sit complacent in their sins. They think the Lord will do nothing to them, either good or bad. It just went from like it's all unraveling to it's even worse. One thing I love about having babies is you get to relive all of these crazy moments. Anybody know anything about uh, babies with object permanence? It's a, it's a thing that they learn. And so just to give you an idea, if I was playing peekaboo with this card and pretend you're Mila, she just figured out not too long ago that I can take the card and I can put it behind the screen and it's still there. But up until about nine months, if I took the card and put it behind it where she couldn't see it, that card did not exist in her world and her understanding. Spiritually speaking, we have an object permanence problem where we are living like eight-month-old babies, unable to understand that just because we don't see the evidence of Christ at work in us or in our world, that it's there. And so it very quickly becomes out of sight, out of mind, and here's what happens, full confession time for me. When I face situations that are difficult, it's not usually something else that I put my hope in. It's not the market or the government or my job or usually what I put my hope in is me. That's a pride issue. And I think I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to take care of it. I trust in me. (laughs) And so this verse says, I'll search with lanterns in the darkest corners. Why? You can't continue thinking that nothing is going to happen. See, some judgment, some criticism is for me. Anybody ever been critical of you when they didn't know you? I'm not talking about that, right? Sometimes people can be critical about you or about the situation or about the job that you're doing, but they're not in relationship with you or in it, nor do they have your interest or your best heart in mind. That type of criticism can hang like a monkey on your back and define you, and you need to get rid of it. That's junk, it's garbage, and you need to say no to it and not listen to that tape right? But some judgment, 
some criticism, as hard it is as it is to hear, is for me and is for you. So when God says he's searching in the darkest corners lanterns for those who are sitting complacent in their sins, it sounds like a judgment, but that judgment is not meant to be just critical. It's meant to be transformative for you, for you to know that there is more and better, and God has that in mind for you and for me and for us. You see, sometimes what can sound like it's really, really negative can be for us. Because God's looking to bring light into all darkness. God's looking to transform all hearts that sit with apathy. Is there anything worse than apathy? I would say that that's probably the reason why people who don't go to church can be critical of people who do. When we as the church sit apathetic to the heartbeat of God in being love and mercy, in being a transformative presence, in allowing Christ to change the way we do so that when there is confrontation, instead of being hypercritical and throwing word grenades, we're being hypercritical in healing grenades. We're helping transform and become and get better. We're leaning into difficult relationships rather than away from them. We're choosing, by the way, to model the type of fidelity relationship that happens when you become a Christian because God is already extending that to you. And when you become a Christian, you're saying, I'm extending that back. That requires hope. That requires relationship. And it requires hope that God's spirit will do what God says God will do in terms of loving us in terms of changing us, in terms of healing and restoring us, in terms of taking what has maybe been heaped on as negative criticism that wasn't for us, ripping that away, so where you can hear the criticism so that we can become the very presence of God. Early on um, in my ministry, I had someone essentially say to me, you'll... uh, you'll never really make it as a pastor. You should stop doing that because your interests are too varied. You need to just focus on only doing one thing. You need to just either just preach or just be a youth pastor or just this. And, and it was like, as if we said there was some sort of formula and mold that I didn't fit. And because I didn't fit that mold, I was never going to be effective in the kingdom of God. And this was a leader that I had put my my trust in and my hope in. And that type of criticism weighed on me for a long time. It caused me to have a lot of doubt, and it still does to this day if I'm really honest about it. But what I realize is that that criticism wasn't for me. But when God said, hey, you, you're trusting in yourself to do things. You're trusting in yourself to grow the church. You're trusting in yourself for your finances. All of a sudden, that criticism was for me. And God was teaching me that my pride issue needed to be stripped away. This is from a little book about a universal truth 
that God is seeking into my apathy, into my complacency, into places where I didn't think was hope because he wanted to bring hope, and yet it's difficult. And I'm learning this from a book that was written thousands of years ago. Are you kidding me? So if we, the church, are going to stop living like practical deists or atheists, we're going to lean into the relationship we have with Christ, and that requires hope, hope that God's Spirit will work, hope that the relationship that we have with God will empower us to become. And here's kind of where we end. When we seek God's presence... When we choose to humble ourselves and lean into the relationship, something happens and we become the Hayah of God. See, chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Seek the Lord, all who are humble, and follow his commands. Seek the Lord and do what is right to live, and to live humbly, perhaps even yet, the Lord will protect you, protect you from his anger on the day of destruction. It's where the first part of this unzipping and undoing of all things and like un, un, basically pulling apart creation and the fabric of it is now like, hey, wait a second. When you lean into what God has for you, when we humble ourselves, when we seek the Lord, you don't even have to have it right. Notice that didn't say, when you have your whole life together... God will protect you. No. This is just seek him. Seek him out. Seek his presence. Seek his presence and allow God's presence to transform you. So here's what happens in Zephaniah. The people had put their hope in other things. They're worshiping other gods. They're believing in themselves. But what they're not doing is following after the heartbeat of God. And so Zephaniah, this prophet who's a nobody, begins to prophesy to the city. And a little kid king who's 12 years old, don't tell me that babes can't win. They can. A 12-year-old king named Josiah hears the word that Zephaniah speaks, that his country and his people and his heart have not been following after God. And you know what he says? He says, tear down the stuff for the other gods. All you priests go back to school and relearn what is right. And all of a sudden, the people start fasting and they start praying. And their country, at least for the lifetime of Josiah, makes a massive turn back to the heartbeat of God to be a blessing for them and the people around them. And I love it. Like 2 verse 11 says this. This is after we turn towards God. The Lord will be terrible against them. He will shrivel all the gods of the earth. And to him shall bow down. Each in its place. All of the coasts and islands of the nations. In other words, the hope comes after we seek God. And God goes to all of those places that we thought we were going to have hope, and he shrivels them down. In the end of Zephaniah, and this is a powerful, powerful verse, this is kind of the last stanza after the king has heard the cry of God. 
Verse 15 of chapter 3 says this, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. What you thought was hopeless is now hopeful. The king of Israel, now notice he doesn't say Josiah. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. So all around him, the countries all around him were being invaded by Babylon. And he says, we don't have to fear that because the Lord is in our midst. Guys, can I just speak to you for a second? God is for you, not against you. God is with you, not some other place. Can I just say that again? God is for you, not against you. God is not some other place, but is present in your reality. And when we choose to lean in, living like he exists, listening to his spirit, this is the promise that we are promised on the other side of it. And that, my friends, is hopeful. And so the things that we hear, like he's going to unravel all of creation and he's going to wipe everything out and he's going to search the darkest places that we sit in complacency in all of the darkness. The reason why is when he shines light, it's transformative. When we seek in, everything changes. And the promise is not in the king of Israel, but the king, the almighty is with us and in our midst. So to make things really practical for everybody, and I'm going to invite the band up. I want to do this. Every situation, in every scenario, how do we, haya? When I was a little kid, I, I took uh, taekwondo lessons for like a hot minute. And uh, when you take taekwondo, as opposed to Thai kickboxing, which I had taken before that, but found out I'm too white and not flexible enough for. When you take taekwondo, every time you strike, you have to yell. There has to be a, a, a vocal emitter. And at first, I, I felt really, really awkward about it because I didn't want to yell. I just wanted to hit hard. But what they said was, it's not even about striking fear into the opponent. It's when you emit, you'll actually strike with greater precision and greater power. I don't know about you, but all of the hopeless situations that I see in my life and all of the hopeless situations I see for our church or for our country or for the things that I think about or worry about or that I have anxiety about or that I'm, I'm stuck to, I would rather see the power of God go with greater force and precision to bring hope to those hopeless situations. If that's what being the hayah of God is, everybody get your chopping stick out. All right? Hayah. One, two, three. Ready? One, two, three. Hayah. If I'm going to be the forceful blow of God's presence into those scenarios, 
I thought maybe there needs to be a how-to. Maybe we just need to get really practical because when they teach you to punch in Taekwondo, they're like, you have to plant your back foot so that your force is coming from the back to the front. You have to slightly open your front foot for balance because otherwise you'll fall over like a goober. And then you want to rotate, bringing the energy up here and striking with... Okay, I'm getting way ahead of myself. So I started thinking like, is there a how-to for the presence of God so that when we strike those hopeless situations, it's not a dainty little blow. It's a forceful blow. It's bringing hope to hopeless. It's bringing light to darkness. It's bringing healing to brokenness. It's bringing restoration to that which has been decrepit and ignored. We can't be apathetic anymore. So in every situation, that place that we think is utterly hopeless and lost, we're going to do these three things. This is the how-to. We're going to invoke. Do you know what that means? That means we're going to call on the name of the Lord. Because if I don't start by calling on the name of the Lord, I am tempted to believe that the power will come from me rather than God. By the way, You have enough talent, I've seen you, to believe that you can do it instead of God too. It's not just my pride. I'm just confessing it for everyone right now. So we're going to invoke, we're going to call on the name of the Lord because then we know whose power is going to be doing the forceful blow. Then we're going to invest. We're going to invest the time with all of our creative energy, with all of the love we can muster, with all of the ability. We're going to invest into the situation. By the way, situations are usually people. Can I say that again? I've never had a situation that wasn't developed or created by a person. So we're going to invest in people who we may not feel like investing in. And then we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to move. By the way, this is all a prayer. It's one prayer. It's one single prayer. God, right? Invoke. You see these scenarios. I've spent time laboring over them. I've spent time laboring over my kids that I'm not sure I'll ever get them to do what I know they need to do or what is right. I've spent time laboring over the market and I don't know which place to invest. I've spent time laboring into the job. I've spent my 10,000 hours. I am a blooming expert and I'm still getting it wrong. We're going to invest. We're going to invest in people. God, I see this problem over there and that person, they have this problem and I want to somehow solve this problem and you might not be sure how and that's where the invitation comes we invite the Holy Spirit by the way this works for people coming to church too call in the name of the Lord you invest in them and then you invite them it's a really simple formula for being the presence of God 